Welcome to Prescribed Listening from the University of Toledo Medical Center. Today's guest is James Kessler, an occupational therapist and certified driver rehabilitation specialist. He provides driving assessments and training for teens and adults with disabilities, prepares teens with conditions like autism and cerebral palsy for driving, and helps elderly drivers as they near their driving retirement. So my name is James Kessler. I'm an occupational therapist here at UTMC. Um, I run the driving rehab program that we have, and this has started several years ago. My background is in occupational therapy. I became a certified driver and rehab specialist in 2011, and I'm also a licensed driving instructor for the state of Ohio for individuals with disabilities. So our driving program is pretty multifaceted. I work with individuals from age 15 and a half to 90 plus years of age. So I work with individuals that are younger, such as adolescents with disabilities. A lot of times parents will um, inquire if their child is able to drive. Um, so we do an assessment to determine their pre-driving skills. I work with individuals that have had a disability that have been driving for a while, such as stroke or maybe MS or amputation and need specialized components for driving. So I do assessment and training for that. And then I also work at the end of the spectrum with older adults that maybe have a cognitive change such as dementia, um, Alzheimer's to see if they're still safe to drive. A lot of times family members will have questions or concerns if their parents are able to drive safely. Um, so we do the assessment to determine if they're still safe to drive or need to, drive, or need to retire from driving. So to start the process, um, we do need a referral. It can be from a physician, pediatrician, it can be from a counselor. Um, sometimes uh, teachers will make the recommendation, maybe a parent has a question about an individual that has autism, maybe their parents have a question whether or not they can drive. Um, they can always call us. I usually refer them back to getting a prescription from their pediatrician for an assessment. Uh, so to start the process, we do require a referral for that. So in order to uh, train individuals with uh, disabilities, I became a certified driver rehab specialist. Um, it's a national program through the Association of Driver Rehab Specialists, which requires um, two hours of full-time uh, training in the areas of driver rehab and then sitting for an examination. Um, the AOTA also has a program that can help licensed individuals uh, looking at driver rehab. Um, you have to do continuing education every three years to maintain your license. Then I'm also a licensed driving instructor um, through the state of Ohio. So I maintain that driver training license and education as well. Um, with UTMC, most people don't realize that we are a driver training school that's licensed by the Department of Public Safety. Um, so we're a driving training school. We're just exempt from doing the classroom portion of that so we can do the behind the wheel training. Um, you know, looking at uh, driving assessments and rehab, um, all of us, as far as like certified driver rehab specialists, part of what we do is try to educate the public, um, especially physicians and stuff, that this service is available because a lot of people don't know about it. Um, the other thing is a lot of times your insurance will cover the assessment, especially if it's being performed by an occupational therapist. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, so it's really important just, you know, we try to get out there and just do uh, education on that that says, hey, this service exists. Um, Think of it like a health check with older adults. Um, generally, it's covered by insurance, and we're not out there to take people's license away. We're just making recommendations to keep people as safe as possible. So typical diagnosis that we see for driver rehab, 
um, working with younger individuals, it could be autism spectrum disorders, it could be intellectual disability, uh, cerebral palsy, um, anxiety. Um, I've seen more individuals with autism and anxiety probably within the last five years than ever before. So working with those individuals to determine if they're able to learn the skills to learn how to drive. Um, for example, a younger individual, um, maybe the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorders. Um, sometimes the parents will bring them in to determine if they're ready to drive. They might have concerns about their attention. Um, so some of the tests that we use are ones that look at attention and um, divided attention, visual attention, a lot of them are pen, pencil and paper tasks. But then we use driving simulation also to help further develop um, assessment of those skills to see how they react in a real world simulation. So at the end of the evaluation um, with a younger adult, we make a recommendation to determine if they're ready to drive or not ready to drive. If they're not ready to drive, um, I will bring them back into the clinic to work on some of those areas that they might have uh, deficits in, such as visual processing or attention skills. Um, I use driving simulation a lot for those type of individuals to work on those skill subsets to improve them before trying to transition to behind the wheel training. Um, so looking at uh, various skill sets for driving, if we're talking about like cognition or coordination, um, a lot of times putting them in that environment using driving simulation and transferring that skill has been seemed to be helpful. Um, working at eye-hand coordination, various driving simulations can help with that. It also helps with anxiety management before transitioning that skill to behind the wheel. Um, so I'll work with an individual in the clinic for several weeks working on those type of components, whether it's reaction time, uh, visual search skills, um, knowing where to look when they're driving and what to pay attention to before we actually get in the vehicle and work on that. A lot of times with driving, I mean, it is something that we do every day and we don't think about it. And sometimes over time, our skills start to diminish or maybe we're not aware of, you know, the errors that we make driving. Um, and it could be lack of attention. It could be being distracted. It could be, uh, you know, a slowly evolving physical impairment that slows reactions down or a slowly evolving cognitive impairment that's affecting decision-making, reaction time and whatnot. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely something that most people don't think about. It's usually a family member or someone else that maybe has witnessed some, some difficulties with driving and makes a suggestion. That a lot of times there's some warning signs with driving deterioration. Um, sometimes a family member may uh, kind of notice that they're getting lost driving or they're, they're um, not paying attention. Um, so some of the warning signs could be getting lost in familiar areas, um, scratches and dents in the vehicle, driving erratic speeds or driving too slow. Um, those are some signifying uh, examples of maybe a driving assessment should be uh, in incorporated at that point in time. Um, it's difficult to maybe convince that individual that they need a driving assessment. And the first thing that I tell them is that, you know, I can't take their license away from them. I can't give them a license. We're just doing an assessment to see where we're at with their driving safety and then make recommendations from there. And that kind of helps alleviate some of that fear because most people come in for a driving assessment, they're scared that they're gonna lose their license. So um, we don't take their license away from them. We just do an assessment to further determine, you know, are they safe to drive? Are there some things that can help them drive or do they need to retire from driving altogether? 
Um, the way I look at it is kind of like a, it's a health check. Uh, individuals should come in at a certain point if they're starting to question their driving ability and get an assessment of their vision, their cognition, their reaction time, and really help them um, to determine if they're still safe to drive, if there's things that they can do to help them stay safe to drive, or if it's to the point they need to retire from driving. Um, some of the things that can help them stay uh, safe driving would be, you know, being active physically, cognitively, socially, you know, making sure the reflexes are intact and um, kind of like preparing for it someday they may have to stop driving. So it's really beneficial to talk about staying safe driving and preparing for the future at some point they may have to stop driving so it's not a complete uh, shock to them later on if they get referred for a driving evaluation and they have to stop driving. I've been doing this for almost 20 years so I've seen a lot of reactions and, and looking at you know working with the older adult that is at the stage where they need to stop driving um, most people don't realize that they don't think about it um, they don't plan on it so when the decision is that they're not safe to drive maybe it's a cognitive impairment or it's a physical impairment or it's a combination of all these things where they're not safe to drive um, the reaction is going to be that they're going to be very defensive and upset about it, and that's totally understandable. Um, but I try to present it in a way to be empathetic about it, to show them examples of why you should not drive and how that affects their safety and other drivers' safety. And I also try to incorporate family with that, to have a support system to help them, um, you know, if they need to stop driving, help them with those behaviors and reactions to it. Really, if it comes to that point, we want to talk about how are they going to get from point A to point B in the community, who can help them, who their support system is, you know, are they able to use services such as Uber or paid transportation, or do they live in a rural area where there's no transportation at all? Um, so all of that has to be taken into effect um, and into account, especially if they have a cognitive impairment. You know, if you tell somebody, well, you can't drive, but you can, you can use a taxi or Uber, but cognitively they can't do that. You, you're not solving the problem there. Um, so really looking at um, their, their support system, if they have a support system, who can help them get back and forth, coming up with a plan, maybe it's going back and forth to the store, medical appointments, being active socially, and I, I really stress that when it comes to driving retirement, individuals still need to be active in the community. They have to be social because they're going to become depressed because they're not able to go when they want to go or do what they want to do. So really stressing the importance if they have the family support to help them with this, to help them stay active socially, mentally, physically, all those things, even if they can't drive. So if somebody can't drive, then you know, the responsibility of the family or a neighbor or friend to help that individual get from point A to point B is a huge responsibility. And a lot of times families don't, uh, they don't recognize that or they, they, you know, it's a huge devastation to everyone, not just the person that can't drive, but to the family that has to take on that responsibility to take people back and forth also. So um, some of those discussions can get pretty heated because, you know, now the family has to take on this responsibility and they're not ready for that. So that's why it's so important to um, 
get a driving assessment early on in life to help prepare for that moment, you know, instead of a knee-jerk reaction that, okay, you're no longer able to drive, so now you have to stop driving, and it becomes a huge problem for an individual and their family. If you can do these assessments earlier on life and say, you know, here's some things to keep you active and moving, but at some point you need to prepare for this, it'll, it'll get people better prepared to do that, so... Um, so driving is really a multidisciplinary approach. Um, depending on an individual's needs, they may be referred to other uh, disciplines, such as physical therapy or speech therapy, to work on some of those components. Um, sometimes I'll refer people to a counselor if they're having anxiety um, towards driving and really taking a multidisciplinary approach to bring that back together to help them with their goal to return to driving. Uh, their goal may be you know, not just to drive, but to be able to work um, so working on, you know, can they drive back and forth to work? Are they able to do that? Then looking beyond that, if they're, they're not able to meet those goals, how do they use alternative transportation to get back and forth in the community? So looking at a time frame, especially with training, um, people want to know how long does it take to learn how to drive or what do I need to uh, learn how to drive? Um, sometimes it's hard to put a time frame on because people learn differently, um, a lot of times with disabilities, it takes them longer to learn how to drive. Um, so really, we're looking at breaking down the skill sets. Um, a typical driver training program, you know, for a teen, it's, it's eight hours with an instructor and 50 hours with a parent. Um, usually with uh, driver rehab, it's a little bit longer working with individuals with disabilities. Um, it can take several months for an individual to, to gain basic skills to, you know, learn how to drive at a residential area before advancing towards that. Um, so how, it, how it's devised is that usually I will train an individual in certain areas first, and if they can practice with the older adult, practice those areas to gain those skills, and then I'll have them come back and, and keep advancing them to meet their goals. Um, if they get to a point where they, they are struggling, then we're going to look at what, what areas are they struggling in. Um, can it be rehabilitated or is it to the point where they just can't advance to driving in certain areas where they may have to restrict themselves? Or if they can't drive in a residential area, then they're not safe to drive altogether. So looking at driving for various uh, disabilities or age process, there's individuals that... Um, may need to stop driving or might not be able to be rehabilitated to the point where they can continue to drive or learn to drive. Um, with special instances, if it's a significant spinal cord injury where I don't have the equipment in my vehicle to uh, train that individual, I will refer them to other certified driver rehab specialists throughout the state that might have equipment to meet that individual's needs. So we have a modified vehicle that, that I train individuals with disabilities. Um, it has various equipment and it. it has different hand controls. So if an individual can't use their feet to drive, we have various hand controls that can operate the gas and brake pedal. We have attachments that go on the steering wheel if they can't grip the steering wheel. Um, we also have a left foot accelerator. So if an individual has lost their right leg uh, due to an injury, we have a uh, left foot accelerator, which actually goes on the other side and train them to use that instead of using hand controls. Um, we have various adaptations that go on the turn signals and whatnot to help them be as independent as possible. Um, with physical disabilities, there's a lot of options available to help an individual return to driving. Driving with uh, adapted devices, they're trained in the UTMC vehicle first. Um, once they've completed training, they'll have to take a driving test at the BMV and they use the vehicle here at UTMC. 
Um, they'll get a new driver's license that states they drive with adaptations, and then they can have those adaptations put into their vehicle. Um, most of the adaptations that are used can be transferred um, into different vehicles or different makes and models, and there's various brands of hand controls and whatnot that are, that are adaptable to most vehicles. Thank you for listening to Prescribed Listening from the University of Toledo Medical Center. To learn more about the provider you heard on today's show, visit utmc.utoledo.edu. If you enjoyed today's episode, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. That's all for this season. We'll be back in 2022.